Come on and get it, honey. Why the getting's good, good, good. Hello and welcome to Unapologetically Judith Owen. This is the podcast from Judith Owen. Hi, Judith Owen. Hello, BB. And me, Bibi Lynch. Now, Judith, I'm not suggesting I'm obsessed with you or even a little in love. I mean, let's let the lawyers decide. But I have been watching, reading, listening to all your interviews about your latest incredible album, Come On and Get It. And what comes across loud and clear is the album is, yes, of course, a beautiful homage to and a celebration of the unsung, brilliantly talented women of 40s and 50s jazz and blues but it's also a celebration of how badass they were, their attitude, how unapologetic they were, and how powerful being unapologetic is. And that's what this series is talking about. So is that why you made the album? I love you too. And the restraining order is going through. I hope they spelt my name that's right. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I hope so too. But this is a, the story, this is the experience for me of... of uh, having my life changed irreparably, thank God, uh, by a group of women who deserve to be known. And, and they changed my life twice, as a kid, as an adult. And uh, I, and I wanted to make it my work, my job, through my music, through my recording, to actually shine the light on them. Because I, I find it just so extraordinary that most of them are unsung, most of them are forgotten. And yet these are women who have changed. They've changed the canvas. They have changed the playing fields for women like me. And they truly, I, I keep describing them as being an exercise in female empowerment, but they really, really were. And so 70 years on, they are still as relevant as ever. And that's why I'm thrilled we're having this conversation. So am I, because... There's so much to say about them, not just the music, but about their attitude. And, and, and I mean, and in this series, what I love about this series is there's so much about them, about sexuality and how unique they were and how they, you know, attacked racism yeah. and sexism and, and ageism and all the isms, absolutely everything. But let's go back to what you just said. Why are they not known, some of them, as well as they should be? Why? Well, because, you know, I, I, we all know like Ella, the queen, let's come on, the queen of jazz. Uh, without shadow of a doubt, we we all know these these names and uh, Sarah Vaughan's um, and uh, the Doris Days and you know I mean we we know the the big names and the Billie Holiday, but the th those were women who were basically they were singing songs from the American Songbook, the the great jazz era. You know, I'm a huge Frank Sinatra fan, obviously. I mean, who who in their right mind isn't? But those songs at that period were so extraordinary. These women bridged the gap. Between the Ma Rainies, the bump and grind, you know, the the good grief. Are you really saying that? You know, the absolute, this is about sex. Get over it. This is about sex. They bridged the gap between those women and what came next, which was the great American songbook. They really were the bridge that, uh, that went between uh, these two places. And these women, extraordinarily, 70 years ago, were singing about female sexuality at a time when nice girls, nice girls sang about romance, nice girls sang songs from the Great American Songbook, and they were decoration. That's what women were. I mean, it's a very different time. And these women were unapologetically celebrating their own sexuality. And, and you know, e even as a kid, when I first heard these songs, I didn't know what they were singing about. I mean, you know, I wasn't that developed, Phoebe. 
I know you think that I'm some surprised. kind of vixen. But at six, at six, I wasn't that developed. And thank God I wasn't. But what I, yeah, I know, I was slow. But I have to say, oh, they're going to get, I'm, they're going to, I'll be cancelled for that. But I have to say, even as a five, six year old, you know, hearing this music, I knew that there was so much power and strength, self-assuredness, fearlessness in these women. You could just hear it. It was just, you know, it, it was a remarkable thing. And that's what I wanted. That's so how I wanted to be. was little six-year-old Judith, I'm picturing you. Were you how would your hair have been? <laughs> Too early for a perm, I'm guessing. Red. What? I've never permed my hair. I hate You've you never for had that. A little Demi how wave? How dare you? I've got iron board straight It's beautiful and well done hair. You. And the worst thing I ever did... Thank you. I used to be able to sit on it at some We've age. all sat on it, sweetheart. Um, yeah, but I I was proud when I sat on mine. And uh, I used to sit on it, my hair, from my head. And I decided I was so bored with it. As we Don't we all do this? I decided that I was so bored with my dead straight people would pay for that kind of hair. I chopped it off. I basically said, can you just give me something that's not too savage? And this masochist, <laughs> this sadomasochist cut my hair in 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 some kind of a I don't know layered shag horror nightmare train wreck and oh. I cried for a week. But that's been a theme of mine. I go through these things where I cry for a week, and um and I need and then I grew it back long again. And it's always been dead straight. It's always been red. I'm very Welsh, you know. I have that beaky look. <laughs> I, I have the look. look. You know, I do. And um and it and it yeah. I have a big big you old are nose a stunner, Judith Owen. You stop look. this. Oh, I'm, hands- I'm handsome. I'm a handsome woman. But little little Judith was exactly the same thing. My nose hadn't grown at that point, but I was a short, very short redhead. My father had this collection. Uh, my father was an opera singer. I just got to set this up because this is such an extraordinary story, I think. Opera singer at Covent Garden. We'd all come from Wales. First to leave, uh, goes to London, joins the company at Royal Opera House Covent Garden. That's my life from you know five onwards. Is my sister and I going to the opera house every weekend? And did you know how unusual and extraordinary that was at that age? Not a clue, because it was my dad's job. You know, we all have that. You know, it's sort of. I've met people who had like rocket scientists. I've met somebody who had an astronaut as a father, and I was like, "Good grief, how was that?" And they went, "It's just <laughs> what dad did." That's what I love about kids. It's just your parents are an extension of you, as we know. I mean, they're wrapped around you. That's the idea. But ultimately, the life you come in to, um, the world you come into is just the world. You, it doesn't mean anything. So I was backstage with my sister, like after dress rehearsals, hanging out in the canteen and saying hi to Pavarotti and Domingo and hello, Mr. Pavarotti, big giant bear of a gorgeous man with a massive smile and fabulous. And oh yeah, I'd be crying, you know, and it's just like I'm getting all the drama that turned me into the big old <laughs> drama queen that I am. And, you know, opera, everyone dies, you know. It's a consumptive art form and everybody is dead on stage. It's marvelous. <laughs> but I, you know, and I, but I didn't relate to the consumptive women, the Mimis and stuff. I related to the Carmens and the Toscas, you know, the kick-ass powerhouses. That's what I liked. And the Aidas, they died too. But no, not Carmen, obviously. But you can't win. You're going to die at some, you know, well, they all die. Carmen dies. She's strangled. So, you know what I'm saying? This could be cheerier, so, Judith. This could be a bit cheerier, um, if you don't mind me saying. I'm going to turn the corner now because this is very Welsh of me, isn't it? It's like this is the depressive in me because you, if you're if you're you are born depressed, we know this. If you're Welsh, so it's just it's we're a defeated race. So I come home and then my father has he's a very unusual classical musician. Come home, there is this extraordinary collection 
are vinyl and the 33s are all sort of Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky and Chopin and Puccini and everything. And then there was this sexy little group in the middle. I can see it to this day. It was extraordinary. Of 45s he collected when he was uh, a young man. And I I think about it. It wasn't that long before, really, but of course, but he seemed that ancient at this point. But 45s and the first one he played was Nellie Lutcher, Fine Brown Frame. And it was like somebody switched a light on. I had never heard anything like it. I'd never heard a woman be so in charge, in control, powerful, humor. You could feel the humor. Just It was literally coming out the speakers. The joy it was a bottled joy. And, uh, and the second record was um, Pearl Bailey uh, and the Cootie Williams Orchestra, Tessa's Torch Song. That's a big band. So, of course, it just took my eyebrows off. It was so thrilling to hear that to hear that powerhouse woman, same thing, power, mm. fearlessness, in control, in charge. Like, and, and it, was, it was the kind of woman that I was already feeling, you know, gestating inside. That's who I wanted to be. I, I, was, I was brought up like, like so many girls, so many women to be a pleaser, to put everybody else first, to always be thinking about everybody's, how everyone else was doing. Are they happy first, to, you know, to, to overextend and then find out at the end of the day that I was the only person that didn't have my needs met. I think we all know that feeling. And that is what being a pleaser is, you know, but these women were pleasing themselves. That was it. Can I say something? If this is too personal, please throw something at me, I guess. I know your mum had a tough... I can already tell you now that it's it's, uh, it's, it's already too personal. (laughs) Before you open your mouth, Lynchy. Yeah, Just by yeah, the setup, yeah, yeah. I know it's too personal. Do go on. Do go on. I know Do go on. your mum had a tough time. Do you think there's anything in that these yeah. mar- these people were the antithesis of your mum? Is that a fair thing to say? No, I, I think you know me well enough now, mm-hmm. Bibi Lynch, to know that I didn't have a strong female role model. I had a sister who was strong and was more my mother in many ways. But my mother was terribly, uh, and I've been very open about this. It, it, I think it's, it needs to be said. So many people have told me to shut up about it, but it needs to be said, you know, women who struggle, women who struggle with uh, depression, hormonal imbalance uh, with, you know, with all of us, any of us who, and I have this myself with anxiety based depression. It, it, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. It took her life. It took every, it took her away from us both, you know, metaphorically and and in reality and and it ended her life and i think because i didn't have that rock i didn't have that mother that i felt i was safe with and that i could rely upon because she was so delicate and she was so vulnerable uh mentally and emotionally when i heard these women it did switch a light on to me because it, you know i mean it literally was like the 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 sun suddenly came out because i thought oh this oh no this is how how you can be. And I was already, you see, I was already obsessed with the piano. I was already obsessed with music. It was, I, it, you know, it, it chooses you. You have no choice. I saw my dad. I heard the music. I was a sponge. And to me, this was it. This is all I wanted. Cause I saw the look on my father's face when he sang, I saw how he transformed and it took him to this other place. Uh, and music was all constant in the house. It was always there. It's what made life. Okay. It's what made it bearable actually, to be honest with you. And so Going to the opera house was was the most incredible, exquisite way of, of being transported to to this other place. And then when we came home and it was dark and sad and cloudy with sadness, then here came Nellie Lutcher and Pearl Bailey 
and Dinah Washington and Julia Lee and Blossom Deary and Peggy Lee. And, and how? And, and, that's, and how did that save me? Because I saw another way. I saw a different direction that I can go. And I saw the woman that I wanted to be, a different role model yeah. as a woman. And again, I mean to be fearless, not filled with fear and anxiety and depression and sadness, but to be alive and vital and and spilling over with joy and hope. And that is what this music encapsulates. It, these All these women had really hard lives, uh, personally, culturally, socially, they, they, they struggled. Um, this is, this is the, the period, but also it's, it's the nature of being a woman in the business, I have to say, especially jazz. And as an adult in COVID, when I started to go back down and become depressed again and, and to lose the plot, so many of us did, I mean, who didn't lose the plot during COVID? I turned around, turned to them again, because I knew, I absolutely knew that I would rather stick forks in my own eyes, BB, than to do another deep, meaningful <laughs> Judith Owen self-penned album, you know, of like, you know, emotional, uh, la, 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 la. no, That's I needed to do something that made me feel as joyful. Yeah. An utter release to transport from the sadness. And I knew the audience, my audience needed that too. I mean, who doesn't need that right now? And, and that, that's the point. It's like you have to, it's like the counterbalance to how you feel. In life, I spent a lot of time singing about the very thing that I was in and the very place that I was feeling. That's not what this is. This is the, you know, the, the, this really is the, the hand reaching out to pull you out of the mire. I love this. And I want everyone who listens to this podcast, obviously, to listen to the album because it is joyful. And then to go see you because, oh boy, before we get into all of that, though, did your dad know that you'd found that stash? Well, it's interesting because, you know, we were bonded in music. We were bonded in his collection. But the weirdest thing, the weirdest thing in life, because, you know, I have this theory that you come in really well formed. We've spoken about this, BB, before. I think, I think you come in as you are, who you are, and then life happens. So at five and six, I was pretty much who I was. I wanted to be a musician. Uh, I wanted to be a badass at the <laughs> piano. I wanted it to be my life, truly. I, I didn't want to have children. I wanted to have Labradors. <laughs> That's clear. Um, did that. So it was, it was everything, you know, I was right there. I was already obsessed with wearing men's clothes. I loved, I, I loved seeing my grandfather in his three-piece suit. That was for me. I liked hats. I liked things that were shiny and shoes and clothes and stuff. And I was over the top and loud and annoying. But, and singing was like, you know, it was just, it was everything. It was everything. And I wanted more than anything, honestly, Bibi, probably because of the darkness of my home. I wanted to make people laugh. I came in wanting to make people laugh as much as the singing and the music. Laughter. Oh my God. Of course I'd end up with, a, you know, being surrounded by that to be attracted by funny men, by funny people. That's become so much a part of my life. But what was truly extraordinary is that as an adult, when I came to America, and that's another story altogether, is how the hell did that happen? But, you know, <laughs> it seems to me my destiny was to come to the place, you know, where I heard it, the place that this music was from. I kept thinking with them, I was like, why, where, where is that? You know, I didn't know the history. I didn't know how awful it all was. I didn't know what they'd gone through. I didn't know what the situation was. All I knew was it was so thrilling to hear this music in curtain twitching 
bloody London suburbs. I was beside myself. And then, of course, I felt the same way about Stevie Wonder. I said, all the people I was hearing, Aretha, same thing. It's like, why? Why am I here? So, of course, I needed to go to America. And the music also, my dad had this collection I didn't know. I didn't know of Jelly Roll Morton, um, of Albert Ammons, of these stride players, of New Orleans musicians. And he had 78s. He had an incredible 78 collection. I did not know this. So I come to be with uh, my now husband and I move to, to California and I'm at a flea market and I start to collect 78s. 78s, 78s of Jelly Roll Morton and Albert Ammons and Haley Jackson and Louis Armstrong and uh, Buddy Bolden, all these different people. One year, my dad's over and I said, Dad, you've got to see this great collection I've just got of, of 78s. You're going to love this because it's so up your street. I showed him my collection and he, he went a little peaky. You know, he, he kind of, his face drained of the bloodage. And he went, I'm not going to say anything, but next time you're home, remind me to get to get my 78 collection out. And I was like, you're 78, what? So I come home like a month or so later. I remind him. He pulls out this box, recovered. And when I say that maybe bar two or three, I would say that there were probably 20 something uh, 78s that were exactly the same. Exactly. That's incredible. And that's what I mean. But that's, that's what fate. I mean. That's so, what, you know, that's, that's meant, isn't it? Well, yes. And I came in listening to this music of New Orleans. Of course I would end up here. I'm sitting here right now in the French Quarter. This is the place that I had to be in. I still live in London too. These are the two places that are the anchors for me, both culturally and musically. They really, really are. I'm going to say some of these women's names, right? And I want you to give, because we've said they're unsung, yeah. so some people don't know them. I want you to give your kind of gut reaction sentence or two just about each of them, just so we get a real kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Nellie Lutcher. Nellie Lutcher, uh, she's, she's the one that started it all. She's the reason I'm doing this. And she changed my life. The just a one of a kind powerhouse, forgotten. I mean, forgotten, but not, not so anymore as far as I'm concerned. No, no. Paul Bailey. What a woman. I mean, powerhouse. Refused to be pigeonholed. Did everything she was capable of. Who lived by her own rules. And certainly, you hear, you hear one bar of, of Paul Bailey singing, you know this woman. Doesn't take shit from anyone. I mean, literally, she's just, you know, you know what I mean? She's just like, nah. Have you seen the clip of her on the Ed Sullivan show? And she's singing and she's, oh, yeah. and she's like, I'm ready, honey. And then she sings, she's like, I'm doing my own thing. And then she, and then someone does something in the back. She goes, where'd you get them? <laughs> she doesn't care. She, I swear. She is so unbelievably relaxed and loose and incredible. And I know, uh, you know, when we get into this, uh, in the, in, in these conversations, her life story will become apparent, but it, it, every one of these women's life stories reads yeah. like a movie. Every one of them. And it's sort of, it's an extraordinary thing to, as an adult to really dive deep and find out about them because I, I, I am still surprised with every piece of information I get, but they, they are, they are shocking in their accomplishments. Shocking in their accomplishments. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you mind if I put that on my business card? <laughs> <laughs> She's shocking. Bibi Lynch, shocking in her accomplishments. Blossom Deary, which A is the best name on earth. Oh, and B. Well, come on. And B and two. A and two. 
uh, actual name. I know, I love that, don't you? A and two. She, that's her real name, supposedly, as the legend goes. Um, when she was being aborned, her brothers uh, picked some blossoms from the from the uh, garden and brought them in for the mother Stop it. when she was giving birth. And that was blossom. I know it makes you sick. So gorgeous. Um, so blossom, dearie. I mean, come on. But talk about unique. Talk about one of a kind. You know, she looked like a librarian, sounded like a sex kitten, and played like a beast <laughs> on the piano. I mean, the people were you know from miles. You know, to Bill Evans and everyone in between looked at to her as being the very pinnacle of jazz brilliance. You couldn't pigeonhole that woman if you tried. And I would say that for most of these women, um, a lot of the reasons why they are remain not that known. I mean, Blossom is more known now because of the mar- marvelous Mrs. Maisel, so that, who's been playing her music. But most of these women are unknown because, or forgotten, because they didn't play by the rules. They weren't part of the big machine. They weren't on major labels. They weren't playing by the rules. So they weren't singing the great American song, but they were doing what made them feel good. They were writing what made them feel good. And it was sexy and it was fun and it was out there. And they got, um, you know, they got their wrists slapped. They got their little hands slapped for it. So that's why we don't know who they are today. Were they really known at the time? Absolutely. Nellie Nutcher was, was, was uh, known. She had that, you know, you get your five minutes of fame kind of thing. You know, she did duets with Nat King Cole, was a big fan of hers. Blossom Deary, uh, absolutely known in the jazz scene. Now she's a cult figure. She did like five or six albums on Verve that are absolute classics now, cult classics. Nellie Lutcher, I think, has suffered the worst of them all, but, uh, really, even though she was known at that point. But if I say her, I, 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 every time I do a show, I ask the audience, who knows Nellie Lutcher? And literally, it's usually one of my <laughs> band members that goes, oh, yeah. I, and it's just like, shut up. No, I don't mean you. But, it, you know, no, it's, it's, it breaks my heart. And that's why this is, to me, I want to educate people about these glorious women. I want to ha- I want them to discover the brilliance of these women whilst entertaining because isn't that the best way to do anything anyway? You know, you know, they don't want this to be some dry history book, some bloody, you know, lesson, some lecture. No, I want you to hear the music. And to want to find out more. Julia Lee. Kansas City queen of double <laughs> entendre and innuendo. Innuendo went out the other. <laughs> I... Thank you. Look what's happened to me. I was always like this. Snatch It and Grab It was one of hers. Come on now. Snatch and Grab It, King Size Papa, My Man Stands Out. (laughs) King Size Papa actually has the best line, my favourite line of all these songs. I got a man who's almost eight foot, four foot shoulders and that ain't on. King Size Papa. I take the door off the hinges when my baby comes to call. A line. I take the door off the hinges. Thank you. I love that sound. Oh, man. Um, it's just, it, it, you know, it's mammalian. I don't even know what that means. I made that up. It's mammoth. It's like, what, is Shaquille O'Neal coming over? I think so. I mean, that's exactly what the song's about, is a man who's so huge. Thank you. And it's just, it, the thing I love about these songs, and, and hers in particular, because there's such filth, it's so fantastic, is the joy I feel in singing them straight. Because you've got to mm. sing them straight. You've mm. got to absolutely have that twinkle in your eye, tongue firmly in cheek. The audience's reaction is one of such 
such such naughty joy, you know, such mischievous mischievous fun. Later in the series, we talk about we have lots of different episodes about just how incredible these women are, like we say, their life stories and their, against ageism and how they how they dressed and and their humour and how sexual they were and and how in control they were. And it's just it's just amazing. We also talk about Peggy Lee and Mary Lee Williams and Diana Washington and Julie London. I love that you say they changed your life twice. I'm guessing the first time was so I know it was when you were a kid and then when you were older so when you were five six years old and when during COVID but was there a split as well and they changed your life musically and then in their kind of their energy and their life force is that a fair thing to say yes absolutely I think it is um it's more than fair I'm almost going to give you a badge no really you're acing it today (laughs) from the minute I heard these women I knew that I wanted to be a badass at the Mm -hmm. piano And it did change me because I was already that person inside. I was just having to cover it up. You know, I, I understand, I understand people, people who live and this is what I guess the whole thing is really about what this conversation is going to be about and how, what it reveals is they encouraged me to be my authentic self. And I see so many people in life and that that might be personality. It might be culturally, it might be sexually who are not being their true selves, who are not being their authentic selves because isn't going to be accepted with open arms. It's going to make some people feel uncomfortable and it's not going to make people feel okay about who you are and you spend your life hiding it. So you'll please the people around you so that you fit in, so that you don't stand out. And that is the saddest, weakest excuse for a life when you look at it uh, in the big picture. And I know as somebody, like I said, who was born to please as a pleaser, it took me my, it's my life's work to, to actually come out from that position and to know that I would like to put the oxygen mask on myself first before I help the person next to me, because ultimately you are, your life is, is number one. And that's what allows you to to, to appreciate and to be authentic and to be your true self allows you to authentically take care of and love the people around you and and to be to be true. And do you know how I know that you mean that and how that that how important that is to you? Your voice changes when you talk about that. You know, we'll get into this in these conversations because because I I'm amazed by the effect it has upon young women and grown up women, women of all ages. How much it affects men who basically you know it takes a very very good man, a great man, to want to be with a strong, wonderful woman. That takes a great man. And it takes a great father and a great mother. We need to, uh, we need to take special care of, of, of our children, of human beings across the board. But as a woman, I can only say that um, I come from, I, I come from a, a family and, and a place where, where women were powerful and strong, but sadly in my situation, uh, were really not cared for, uh, not understood, not seen. Lives were stolen. The podcast series is Unapologetically Owen. What does being unapologetic mean to you? Not living two different lives, as in not hiding my true self. You know, not. I, I used to be somebody who spent an awful lot of time questioning whether I was making other people happy, whether I was hated, whether I was doing right. Was I the worst person on earth? Am I awful? You know, we all have imposter syndrome as musicians, but I, yeah, it was really extraordinary. And, and I have this character in my head um, called Judge Mental, uh, uh, which I'm, makes me laugh. Can I write that, that down? That is my character, Judge 
mental. Thank you. Because you can, because you take run with that. Because ultimately, we think that people are judging us. No, who gives a shit? I mean, that's the point. The you are are judging yourself. You're your worst judge. I mean, who gives a crap? And I think when you say, "What does it mean to be unapologetic?" I don't give a shit anymore about you know. I don't feel like I need everybody to love me, everybody to be my friend, everybody to like my music, everybody. No, that's craziness. I just need the people who love me to love me. I need the people who love my music to love my music. It's not going to be everybody. Why would it be? That's that's ridiculous. I'm not campaigning for Pope. So I just, you, you know. You do very well, though, if you do. I think that's a big part of yeah, it. I yeah, would. I can see I? you can on you those see little cars. <laughs> I can. And the pointy thing. I want to be in the Pope mobile. The Jude mobile. The Jude mobile. So, but that, that, but I think that's about, that's a big part for all of us about being unapologetically yourself, your authentic self is is that you don't feel like you're campaigning for everyone's mm. love. The minute I came out as Lady J, my biggest, most authentic self, it was extraordinary because uh, I, I got the I got the love that I'd always wanted, but and, and I got it for being me. How about that? How about, about that? that? It's it's brilliant, and also it's not about not caring about other people. It's about choosing to care about yourself a bit more, isn't it? Well, it's not about being a narcissistic mm. prick. I mean, that's what we mm. don't want. We've got enough of those in the world. I'm not You're looking right names, at me, but I don't. You have are to. Looking, right looking right at, at me. You. That was rude. That was rude. But I, I mean, it's not. I'm not talking about being a narcissist. I'm talking about. If you spend your life only concerned and only thinking about how other people are feeling and how they're doing, you will become very empty and quite resentful because you will never express yourself. It turns into resentment or depression or sadness or all of the above. What is your ultimate aim for this album and what is your aim for this podcast? For people to know these these incredible women and these incredible songs. Of course, that's me in them. You know, I'm bringing my voice to these. I'm bringing my own authentically, you know, unapologetically badass voice to it. That's that's another very relevant part of this because I'm living this way now. So it's a very fresh, different take on on these songs. But I honor them completely. Um, I want these women to be known. I want them to be respected and adored. This is jazz that's built to entertain and to make you want to dance around the around the room with joy. I mean, that's what this is about. We need this. So I want I want to continue with this. You know, sharing this album, reaching out, touring like a like a, a busy Jude, oh, like some some <laughs> busy Jude. Yeah, busy Jude. Because I see the effect, effect it has a, a, a upon the audiences, and and selfishly, the effect it has upon me is uh, is extraordinary. And, and and we haven't mentioned yet one very important element of this, and that is New Orleans. I couldn't have made this this album anywhere else, and we will get to this as well and talk about this in future. But the very nature of New Orleans, if you haven't been, listeners, is that it is a, a city that finds a reason and an excuse to celebrate life because you just don't know what tomorrow will bring. And somehow the rest of the world has caught up with this feeling maybe because we're in critical times on so many levels. And New Orleans is constantly looking for a reason to find (laughs) joy and celebrate and to be grateful for the moment we are in because that's all we have. So the desire to 
you know, dress up, costume, parade in the streets, meet with friends, dance together, drink together, laugh together. It's the most important thing there is in this music-driven and food-driven city. That's what it's about. And so I could never have reached this point and I could never have made this record, this glorious album, without being here, without these extraordinary musicians who are of the same feeling, who are all either from here or were pulled towards this extraordinary city for the same reasons, which is to be alive, vital, and and to live their, their best lives. You make New Orleans sound so amazing, which is then doubly cruel because you've never invited me over. Interesting. Never, never will, will, mate. Interesting. Never <laughs> will. I, you know what? Some... <laughs> Because if I invite you, then I have nothing over you. I mean, that's a terrible that's, What a beautiful attitude. Um, people might like yeah. you more than me. There, there you, you go. go. That's, that's what, what I would have said in the past. I would and have said, me- you can come any bloody time you want. Seriously, no, you will come. And, and honestly, I want to share these women's stories because they need to be told. They must be told and shared. But I also want to, I also want to share what deeper things they have brought, brought to me brought to my audience, what it means for women about what we can learn 70 years later from these ladies who, honestly, they were living loud and proud at a time when it was really dangerous to do that. And we'll get into that. But their legacy lives on for for women. And, and obviously, because of that, for women, for men, for all of us, they are still, uh, if we look to them, if we look to their lives, if we look to this music, there is so much grace, there's so much joy, there's so much to learn, to take with us and to elevate our lives right now. Okay, so that's it for this episode and we're going to be back next week with another. Obviously, we've we've mentioned them time and time again, but we need to find out more about these incredible women, about just how unique they were and how empowering they were and how fearless they were and how relevant. I mean, they're so relevant even today. And as Judith said, 70 years ago, huge thanks to you for listening and to you my lovely friend Judith for making this oral joy and I did say oral joy possible don't forget to come don't forget to come on and get us next week and to follow and give the series a review unapologetically Judith Owen is produced by Pineapple Audio Production and we will see you very very soon Mm -hmm.